started. I, I just want to pray once more. Lord, I want to pray over my brothers and sisters here. Lord, these are your children. You love them dearly. You love them deeply. And you've provided the opportunity for this weekend. You've gotten us all here safely. And there may be still some people on their way. pray that you would continue to protect those people, our brothers and our sisters. Thank you for Lake Retreat Camps uh, being a place where throughout the years, throughout the century, people have been coming here and seeking you and finding you. Please do a mighty work this weekend. Bind us together. Bind us to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's it's really, really good to see you guys. Um, welcome to the 2017 All Church Retreat. Um, woo! Yeah, there it is. Yes, yes, yeah, we can. So as as most of you know, this is the second iteration of what we hope to be an annual tradition. So it's pretty exciting that we were able to do it uh, again this year. Uh, last year, June 3rd through 6th, 2016, we had our inaugural all-church retreat at the Suncadia Spa and Resort in Clee Elm. I'm just going to back up a little bit because I feel like I'm super close to you guys in the front row. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a good thing. I just... I. Fear closeness sometimes. Something I, something I'm working through. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, yeah, so last year, it was a really awesome time that we had, and, and not everybody uh, was able to make it, but what we found from that trip, it was, it was a great opportunity for us as a church to really get to know one another, to meet each other, and we got so much out of last year's that we wanted to make a point to do it again this year. In December, um, Nick and Justin and I and our families as well, we got away for the weekend and we were just praying over 2017. We felt like God was telling us, do something every single month. Bless the body every single month. And we knew in June we were going to do this all-church retreat. And by God's grace, we're here. Uh, He made it happen. He's good for that. And this evening, I, I have been given the privilege to share with you guys and kind of vision cast. Get an opportunity to tell you what, what we as you know, servants to you guys as the body of Christ, what we intend for this weekend to be because we believe that it's what God has for you guys and we're just trying to serve that. Uh, we're going to spend the entirety of this time together and I should set a timer just to be safe. Uh, we're going to spend the entirety of our time together this evening talking about what this is supposed to be. But first, I want to talk about what it's, what it's not. This is not a conference. This weekend is not a specified time frame set aside for us to have intensive courses and enrich ourselves in heart and mind uh, in some particular theme or topic. Um, if, you've, if you've seen what the schedule looks like this weekend... If this was a seminar of sorts, we could have taken a lot better responsibility with our time. You'll notice we're only doing one main session like this per night. Um, And actually, the one on Sunday, which is in the morning, is just taking the place of our regular Sunday church service. We're, We're not spending all of this time together in class, trying to have some sort of, like I said, intensive course. It's not that those things are bad. It's just not what we feel like God has for us this weekend. So this is not a conference. So what is it? It's exactly what we're calling it. It's all church retreat. 
It's an opportunity for us as the body to be able to steal away from the normal occurrences and responsibilities of our lives and retreat, get away. Now, why would we want to do that? Well, the reason we would want to do that is because in the Gospels, there's a rhythm of Jesus' life that you'll see that he, he definitely goes out and he serves. Jesus is the selfless servant, constantly sacrificing his own energy, his own time, his own very life and body for the sake of serving others, to the glory of God and unto the kingdom of God, furthering the kingdom of heaven. It's a wonderful work that Jesus does in the Gospels, and we're called to join in, and we have the privilege to do those things. But the Gospels, being written episodically, it has this rhythm where if you're just going from one section of your Bible to the next, you might miss that Jesus gets away in between. He has this rhythm of going out and serving, but getting away and being alone with the Father. There are also portions in the Gospels where he tells his disciples to do that very thing. He urges them to get away. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Because we're disciples of Jesus as well, here in Washington, we are going to follow Jesus' example. We're going to follow Jesus' commandments and heed it. Um, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 30, and we're going to get all the way down to 47, and we're going to be uh, only really expounding on kind of the outer shell of the feeding of the 5,000. So I'll give you an opportunity to turn there. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. Okay, before we read through our passage together, I want to set the stage by summarizing two events that precede the feeding of the 5,000. There's two things that happen, um, and it's important that we know them. Number one, Jesus sends out his 12 apostles. He sends them out two by two in what we'll call an evangelism tour. Now, that's crude and a poor example of what it is, but let's just call it that. It was, it was a tour. The, they went out two by two. They were casting out demons. They were anointing the sick with oil and healing the sick. They were preaching repentance. And so that's one thing that happened. Number two, Herod... He has a birthday party at his place, and you guys know this story. At his palace, he throws this birthday party. His stepdaughter comes and dances before him and his guests. It's kind of a creepy sight. And Herod is so pleased by the dance that he says, you know, what, what do you want? I'll give you a gift as a thank you for the gift that you've given me. She goes and she consorts with her mother, and they ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so Herod... Being in the pressure of his surrounding guests, conceits, uh, he, he doesn't necessarily want to. He's actually kind of intrigued and entertained by John the Baptist, and yet he has John the Baptist beheaded, and the head is presented to his stepdaughter as a gift. Those two things precede our passage. So now let's, let's read. Chapter 6 of the book of Mark, beginning in verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place 
in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he commanded them uh, to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. We're going to stop there. The word of the Lord. I want to pray again. I like this portion of scripture. God, uh, just... Bless this time that we have to, to dig in to the glory that is your spoken living word to us. Please breathe life into this and let this be beneficial and profitable. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we get this story. Very familiar, the feeding of the 5,000. We should not let the film familiarity of it get in the way of the miraculous awe of it, right? He just feeds at least 5,000 people um, with five loaves and two fish. That's fascinating. But, again, as we said before, if we get caught up strictly in the episodic nature of the gospel accounts, moving from one section of our Bible to the next, we miss the interim, the rhythm of the way Jesus operates his ministry. Verse 30 starts out, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things but both what they had done and what they had taught. As previously described, the 12 apostles were sent out two by two on this evangelism tour. Again, not the best expression. But they were preaching repentance, casting out demons, anointing the sick, and healing them. They were fascinated by the work that God was doing, and they had been witness of it. They had been conduits of the work that God was, God was doing through in the lives of desperate people. They're regrouping now. Tour's over. They're coming back to Jesus, and they're accounting to him all the things that they've seen, all the things that they taught. And needless to say, they're on a high. They're really excited by the ministerial successes that they've had and witnessed. And so when they report to Jesus all these different things that they had seen, his response to them is very cool. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Jesus' response to them is, let's go first to a deserted place. A deserted place. This is the first condition of what Jesus tells them to do. This word for deserted is also 
translated as wilderness. It's the same word that describes where John the Baptist was preaching repentance, the middle of nowhere. It's the same word that's used to describe where Jesus was when he was tempted by the devil, the middle of nowhere. So think barrenness, think desolation, nothing around. That's where Jesus is trying to get them to go. Why? Followed up by the second half of this commandment, to a deserted place and rest a while. He wants them to get some rest because there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. The reason the apostles were so busy is because by God's grace, they were able to answer the calls and the needs of these people. They were in high demand and by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they were able to fill those demands, satisfy those needs of the people, but there was no shortage of the needy. There were constantly more and more people who needed their assistance, and they could help. They had what it was that these people needed. So Jesus wanted to get them to the middle of nowhere so they could just find some nothingness for a little while. Get away from all the people that they could help, all the people that they could heal, all the people they could purify and cast out demons from. Go to the middle of nowhere. Go somewhere you can find nothing and rest a while. This word rest um, is also used in other places of the New Testament to describe, or is translated, refresh, to be refreshed. Jesus is trying to get them somewhere to recharge for a little bit. And so, verse 32, they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So they do that. They do what Jesus has called them to do. They all get into a boat. We know from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus gets into the boat with them. And they go find some middle-of-nowhere-ness. But the multitude saw them departing. So people see where they're going. They're anticipating where they're going to end up. They run off by foot. And surprise, surprise, by the time they get to the middle of nowhere, it's no longer the middle of nowhere. There's a bunch of people there. There's bustling with the needy in high demand once again. But when Jesus sees these people, he has great compassion on them. Yes, Jesus was trying to get his disciples to get to the middle of nowhere, to recharge. That's the purpose of them getting into the boat. But once they got to the other side, Jesus is not one to shy away from compassion. These people traveled long, long distance, and they ended up where Jesus was going. So Jesus does he speaks to them, he preaches to them, and he satisfies what, what they're after. Let's, let's pause for a little bit. All of you guys have heavily, heavy responsibilities over your lives. I know that. I know that there's a lot of things upon which... A lot of things that depend on you. And it actually takes a little bit of trust and commitment for you guys to leave your homes to come out here. There's, there's, there's things waiting for you at home. There's the needy waiting for you at home. I, w- I want to assure you that the reason you guys are here is not because you guys went AWOL from your responsibilities. 
Just as Jesus looked at his apostles, Jesus knows that they're not the ones who did it. They're not the ones responsible for the successes that they had in their ministry on their evangelism tour. Neither are we the ones responsible, and it's not because of our exerted efforts that we're able to bless people, that we're able to be good fathers and mothers and employees and neighbors and whatever other hats you guys wear in your lives. We all recognize that it's not by our own talents and by our own success or by our own talents that God proves success through our efforts. But it is true that we need to be refreshed. It is true that we need to be recharged. This weekend is not a conference, it's a retreat. Just as Jesus was calling his apostles just to get away for a little while, go to the middle of nowhere. Ravensdale is not barren, it's not desolate, it's lush and it's beautiful, but uh, in fact, only 17 businesses function in Ravensdale. One of them is Lake Retreat Camps, and their, their area code is actually Auburn, so I don't think they even want to talk about it. There's less than, there's less than 1,200 people who live in this city, so we're kind of in a deserted place together. It's a great opportunity for us to get away. And the the point of us getting away is to rest a while, to be refreshed. I want you guys to recognize that it's, it's not easy to put something like this together. A lot of things have to line up for each of you personally. I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of people were still looking for rise as of yesterday. But by, by God's grace, things lined up and everybody was able to get here. Funds had to line up. There had to be space here at the retreat center. The roads had to be clear. Your health had to be up for it. You're not here by accident. I know you could be at home. There's work waiting for you around the house. There's work waiting for you on your desk. Maybe you have some more deliberate ministerial things you can do for people that you love back home. You're not here because you're running away from your responsibilities. You're here because it's Jesus' will, and you're here because of providence. Let's, let's keep reading. Skip down to verse 45, okay? Hmm. Okay, so Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's a miracle. It's, it's fascinating. It's a really wonderful portion of Scripture, but we're skipping over that just for the purposes of tonight. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. We pick up in verse 45, and Jesus is at it again. Right? Don't skip over this. What happens next? Jesus walks on water. If we're moving from section to section of the Gospels episodically, we miss this rhythm. Verse 45 says, He makes his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He, his efforts were interrupted, right? He's trying to get his disciples to go to the middle of nowhere and rest for a little while, but when they get there, there's plenty of people waiting for them. They don't get that opportunity. So they spend the day ministering to these people because Jesus is compassionate, loving, and servant like. So once that's all done, he still insists upon getting his disciples into a boat and trying to get them to a deserted place. So he sends them on a boat and goes to the other side. And the second half of 45 is really great. While he sent the multitude away, there's still a bunch of people on the shore. The work is not done. 
the, the day's work has not yet been closed out. Jesus doesn't have the expectations for his disciples to finish out the day's work. He's really insisting upon getting them out of there. And Jesus stays and, close out, and closes out the work himself. So, um, you know, I'm just going to abandon these. I'm having trouble keeping an eye on my notes. In verse 46, And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone excuse me, on the land. Jesus is the one who finishes this work. He, fin- he finishes the task at hand. He gets everybody away from the shores, and then he himself retreats. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Well, generally speaking, it's, this is regular occurrence. Jesus is always having a very balanced life where he's making, he makes a point to get away and just to pray and get some time with his Father. It's fellowship, it's communion, it's worship. It's something that Jesus does often. However, there are times in Scripture, like Gethsemane, where Jesus intentionally gets away to pray because something in particular is troubling him. Remember we said the the first two things that precede this portion of Scripture are one, the twelve apostles are sent out, and then what's the what was the second one that precedes this? John the Baptist is beheaded. Very good, yeah. So let's um you don't have to turn with me there, but I'm gonna read Matthew 14's account of this. Starting in verse ten. You you can you're more than welcome to turn there. Matthew fourteen, verse ten. So he, that's that's Herod sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When it says his disciples, we're talking about John the Baptist's disciples. So they take away the body, bury it, and they went and told Jesus. Verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Then the feeding of the 5,000. Why was Jesus trying to get away? He's mourning. He's grieving. This, this is so important that this is here in Scripture. Yes, Jesus is all-powerful. He is God Sometimes we mistake Jesus' power for coldness. Because he's sovereign, because he knows everything, we forget that Jesus is moved in grief and in mourning for harsh things in life. And he himself had to get away and retreat and pray. I'm going to skip down in verse... um, Verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Again, Jesus is finishing the work. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. You see, some of us, God has brought us here today because we're working so hard and life is just really joyous and yet tiring. We're on a spiritual high like the apostles, being sent out two by two, seeing amazing work that God is doing. We're really excited, but we're getting burnt out. Others of us are here because you're grieving. There are hard things going on in your life. 
And it is appropriate and legitimate for you to get away for a little while and deal with this before the Lord. When, when we're busy, when we constantly are at work and at work and at work and at work, we don't get the opportunity to bring before the Lord our grief. We don't get the opportunity to deal with that which we need to deal with. We need to follow in Jesus' example. He takes the opportunity to get away, and he puts the, the trust and expectation of navigating through these hard feelings in his prayer closet, if you will. In his case, up on a hill, by himself, alone with his father. He entrusts his father with his grief and with his mourning. If you're having grief in your life, if you have mourning in your life right now, it's important that you remember that you're not just here because it worked out. This is by providence. There's a lot of things that have to line up. Just like I said earlier, the finances had to work out. You had to get a ride. The roads had to be clear. The conference center had to be in operation. Things happen that prevent people from getting places. You are here because Jesus has a retreat for you. And you have a great privilege and opportunity to get before the Lord and work through these hard, difficult things. And by God's grace, God's going to bless you with it. God is going to work these things out with you. And you're going to remember that you have a compassionate, merciful God. You have a God who's worthy to be trusted with your grief. The fact of the matter is, is for the majority of us, we're not in one of these two camps. Super excited and super tired, or have some grief that hasn't been dealt with. Most of us, we're a combination of both, right? Because life is complicated. We have a lot of relationships. We have a lot of tie-ins that complicate things. So my, my encouragement to you guys is to grab hold of this. Take hold of this opportunity to retreat that Jesus has given you as a gift. Embrace it and make good use of it. Get with people. Get some rest. Enjoy yourselves. Have fun. Get with God. Work through these things. It's legitimate. You have the opportunity. This is God's opportunity for you that he's prepared for you. This is something that Jesus did for his closest friends. This is something that Jesus did for himself. It is important and it is legitimate. In, in our day and age, we have a really hard time legitimizing getting an opportunity to just stop. By God's will and to God's glory, let's stop this weekend. We're almost done here. What happens after this? Jesus is up on the mountain praying. He's getting his retreat time. He's probably processing this grief with his father. He's praying through it. And what does he see from his hill up on the shore? Storms are hitting in the middle of the lake. His apostles are having a very hard time row through the lake. So he just walks on water, almost passes them by, but instead stops and helps them and calms the storm. And then when they get to the other side, what do you guys think is there? Bunch of people again! Surprise, surprise. Spoiler alert, retreats are short-lived. Retreats are very short-lived. There will be storms, metaphorically, hitting shortly. There will be knocks on your door on the other side of this weekend. The demands that you've left at home are waiting for you. So don't let this weekend just pass you by. Grab hold of it. Make good use of it. And the biggest reason is not just because it's a primary pillar of the church to be well-rested people, because that's not really 
what we're trying to get at here. It's because Sabbath. Sabbath is an important theme through Scripture because Sabbath connotes trust in God. That the progress of your life, the responsibilities of your life are based upon the activity, the efforts, and the success and strengths of God, not your own. And that should not be offensive to you. That should be a great relief to remember that the world spins because God wills it to spin. Your children, your friends, your family at home survive because God wills it to be so. Sabbath is a great opportunity to trust And most importantly, Jesus, the God that we serve, is a God of compassion, always sacrificing himself for the rest and relief of sinful people who don't deserve it. That's us, brothers and sisters. We receive from Jesus opportunities of rest at his own expense, even to the point of the cross. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy... Uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is a God that wants to give you rest at his expense. We see it in Matthew 14 and, and Mark 6 as he stops for the sake of serving these people even though he's exhausted. And he's, he's doing that for you guys, this opportunity. He's doing it for me this weekend. And it's, um, it's glory to God to accept what he's offering for us. Just as it's glory to God to accept salvation at Jesus' expense upon the cross, it is glory to God. And this weekend is just a small taste of the eternal kingdom that is full of consolation through our grief and ultimate rest from our striving in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Redeemer, and our Savior. This weekend is a very small sample taste of that. So dig in deep, taste and see that the Lord is good this weekend as is in eternity, in Ravensdale as it is in heaven, in your life as it is, in all of the universe, because our God is good and compassionate. Amen? Let's pray, guys. Lord, you've given a gift. Jesus, you said that uh, the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. You've given the gift of rest. It is not the ultimate pillar of our faith, but we'd be remiss and we would be exhausted if we ignored the fact that this is a truth of the work that you do for your church. It is at your expense and you've laid down your life for our salvation and you've prepared the way for our rest this weekend. I pray that we'd get opportunities to get with people, get opportunities to get with the Lord, we get opportunities to rest and refresh, get opportunities to process through grief before you, alone with you, God, that we get opportunities to meet one another, maybe for the first time, that we would experience joy and praise to your glory, not because we're lazy, not, be, not because we're seekers of comfort, not because we're wine-bibbers, but because you've provided this for us, and it brings glory to you when we accept the gifts that you've purchased at your expense. Thank you, Lord, for the Calvary the Hill All Church Retreat 2017. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Uh, we're just going to close out with one more song.
Um, and 